Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Bite Size Nutrition Podcast. I'm Jillian, and today you are going to go on a wild ride of a podcast. Because in this episode, I talk to Avril Louise Clark, who is a sexologist and also a lovely ex-client of mine. And we talk all things bodily autonomy, consent. She gives us a couple of exercises for how to learn more about what you like when it comes to sex. We talk about porn literacy and how that affects how we feel about ourselves. We talk about the importance of masturbation, mindfulness in sex. We talk about a lot of parallels between our relationship with food and our relationship with sex. We talk about is your vagina normal or not. And wow, this was just one of my favorite conversations that I've perhaps ever had on this podcast. And I cannot wait for you to listen. Really, this is an episode, this amazing episode. I'm going to stop talking about it and let you listen. But first... I want to share with you, because if you are listening to this in real time, so it is July 2023, I am opening up enrollment, or actually enrollment is open for the beta round, so the very first round of my body image coaching program. And this program is for anyone who is sick of letting how they feel about their body hold them back. This is not a program to help you love every single thing about yourself. This is a program to help you create skills and really powerful mindset shifts to know that even if you don't love everything about yourself, you can still act with confidence, you can still believe in yourself, you can still treat yourself with kindness and respect, and you can still have a really freaking awesome life. And so in this program, we are going to address the influences, the thought patterns, and the beliefs that you have about your body so that you can learn to practice body acceptance, you can learn to take more respectful and kind actions towards your body. We're gonna work through some of the difficult thoughts and feelings about your body and start taking some actions that really align with your core values and who you are and overcome some of those blocks that keep you from doing awesome things. So you are going to be able to wear the shorts, bathing suit, or sports bra confidently. You're gonna value yourself for so much more than your appearance. You're going to be able to initiate intimacy with your partner or with yourself without being all in your head about what your body looks like. And you're going to learn how to speak to yourself with kindness and compassion even when you don't love what you see in the mirror. And so this is a program to really help you transform the way that you think about your body even if your body doesn't ever look like you want it to. And The reason why this work is so important is because our bodies are going to change for the rest of our lives. And so if we only can accept ourselves when we look a certain way, that is not true acceptance. And so if you have any interest in this program, please reach out to me via email at jillian at bitesize.es or, and this might even be quicker because I'm unfortunately on Instagram all the time, send me a DM on Instagram with the words body image. You'll find my Instagram and my email in the show notes and we can chat a little bit about details and make sure that this is the right fit for you. So with that, my friend, thank you so much for being here and let's hop in to this discussion with Avril Clark. Avril, I told you this before we started recording, but this may be the podcast episode that I was the most excited and sort of like, kind of giddy like oh I can't wait to record this episode and for those of you listening I was so excited to record this episode with Avril because I I happen to have gotten to know her very well and she also has a really fascinating job so she's a really cool person and also has a really cool job 
and she's going to tell you a little bit about it. So Avril, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yes. Hey, Jillian. I know this is so fun because we have got to know each other pretty well. So it feels weird to be like now like introducing myself, but obviously to your podcast listeners, which is really exciting. Uh, I am a sexologist. Um, so that means that I wear many different hats. I mainly work within the educational sphere, but also in therapy. So I work through educating people about sex, sexuality, and helping them feel more comfortable in knowing that they have uh, bodily autonomy and choice and the ability to explore what feels good to them when it comes to their sex and sexuality. So yeah, it's a really fun job and I love what I do. And um, yeah, it's great. I love it because it ties so well into, I mean, you know me well, cause mm-hmm. we've worked together and you know how much bodily autonomy is a key component of the coaching that I, I offer to my clients. And when it comes to bodily autonomy around food, this is essentially sort of understanding that I have full power of choice over what I put in my body, how I move my body, if I choose to lose weight or not lose weight, stay the same, et cetera, et cetera. And so what does bodily autonomy like in the context of sex actually mean? Right. So this is great. And I I agree. It aligns so perfectly well. And I feel like when I was working with you, when you started talking about bodily autonomy, I was like, I get it. I just never thought about it this way because usually this is how I teach sex education. And this is like the primary thing that you teach when you teach sex education, even to children, right? So bodily autonomy is defined as your ownership of your own body, right? You have choice of what, you want to do with your body and no one else can decide that for you right so for young people I always say okay you're the boss of your own body right and this is a really huge factor and like foundation when it comes to teaching sex education um from that veers off into you know the practice of consent right okay so now understanding that um consent exists on a spectrum so understanding that through your bodily autonomy now you have choice and this is something that um obviously when you're having sex typically it's with another person or possibly more um and then there needs to be negotiation practices right i think it's really important to talk about it as it exists beyond this binary of yes and no so yeah The idea that we are often taught about consent is that it's on this binary, right? It's almost like asking for permission and getting it or not. And so um, through the practice of bodily autonomy and through the practice of consent is recognizing that um, there's many different choices we can make when it comes to expressing our sexuality. And you can choose, uh, I don't know, different behaviors, different lifestyles, and figure that out for yourself with your partners uh, through positive sexual communication, right? So um, I would say the dividing factor here when it comes to bodily autonomy, how you taught me, and bodily mm-hmm. autonomy when it comes to sexuality and sex is it, it will involve a practice between 
more than just yourself, right? So it's not just up to you and your personal choice. It's also involving other people's um, preferences and, and kind of managing that through the practice of consent. Yeah, I, I think that that is so important because I know, I think we are like the first generation to ever really talk about consent. And I think that a lot of this kind of also ties into like how we feel about our bodies, because especially I know speaking from my own experience is that I, when I felt uncomfortable in my body, I also felt uncomfortable expressing what I wanted and what I didn't want. And I sort of felt like, okay, well, I can offer sex to someone else as like a way to get them to like me more because I didn't necessarily like myself. And I think that a lot of like the, the way that I approach sex now, the sort of empowered way that I'm able to approach it has to do with doing a lot of work on how I feel about my body and my self-worth. Yeah, I think that when it comes down to confidence is a huge thing, right? I think if we're not feeling so good in our skin, whether or not it's because, I don't know, I can speak personally to this matter because obviously I found you and I worked with you, um, but I, it's more of just like a feeling and a knowing I have of my body when I'm not feeling strong, when I'm not feeling as capable, when I'm feeling a little bit wishy-washy with like my understanding of my bodily autonomy, that I do have a choice, that I do, I don't feel like in tuned with exactly what I want and how I want to express myself. Um, and so this aligns greatly with sex as well. So um, there's this really great practice that um, I like to do with some clients when we first start working together, which is, it, it's kind of like this, this triangle practice that you do, right? And so it's this understanding that there's um, three main points when it comes to um, good sex, right? And it is, um, you know, physical touch, um, staying in the moment, and your, um, I don't know, psychological arousal. And often, and it's kind of like an interrelating triangle. So if you can imagine it, it's like a triangle with like arrows all pointing mm -hmm. at each other if I can envision it a bit. Um, and so this is something that's used as kind of like a, a framework for how we'll work together, which is where the clients will then decide like, well, what kind of physical touch do I like me I'm not involving any other person, not based on, you know, my partner's preferences. Um, what are the kind of things that are psychologically arousing to me? Is it certain scents? Is it certain sounds? Is it certain uh, practices and textures? Um, and then it's about staying in the moment. So like, how can I be mindful during the practice of sex? And this doesn't mean like reaching like a meditative state or, you know, practicing tantra or anything, but it's basically what will keep me as least distracted as I can during sex. And what happens, and this is when it like relates to like body confidence is um, we can sometimes, we can kind of have these like out of body experiences during sex when we're not really living in the moment. And then instead we're in our heads and the, typically the main thoughts are relating to our bodies, right? Um, how do I look? Is this weird? Uh, what's my partner thinking? And so it's just like all these moments, these thoughts that are just actually, you know, not really adding anything to the moment and not adding anything to your pleasure because you're not really 
concentrating on it. Now that I've explained it out to you, I feel like it's all things that we've talked about before, but when it comes to food, so I think it's, it's all about pleasure practices, right? And I think that's also a really important thing is like recognizing that there are many different pleasure practices in life beyond just sex. And there are so many different ways that we can put this into practice before bringing this to the bedroom or wherever you choose to have sex, right? I, I love that you brought that up. I love that triangle too. And you're right. As, as we're sort of talking about this, I'm like, this is such an interesting parallel to our relationship with food and our relationship with our bodies. And you brought up something that is really important that I actually wanted to ask you about. So I was really curious because I think a lot of us have in our minds that like someone that is, that we think is attractive, doesn't have any hangups about their bodies or about sex. And one of the things that I've been trying to do a little bit more recently is simply just normalize the fact that the way that we feel about our bodies is so personal. It has nothing to do with how someone else views you. So like your partner could see you as the most beautiful thing in the world. And that like, you can still have your own like mental drama about your body. And so what are some common hangups that you hear from people? Like, can we bring some of these into the light and like maybe normalize Mm -hmm. them? Right. Oh my gosh, definitely. So, I mean, I guess one of my main interests and in, in specialties in the work that I do is I teach porn literacy, right? So it's a form of media literacy, which is understanding that media has a huge effect on the way that we feel about ourselves, our bodies, and others. Um, and more specifically in porn, these messages can be extremely related to um our bodies, right? So when we think of kind of like, well, what are the common body types we see in porn? Um, you know, it could be large penises, um, I don't know, fake breasts, um, surgically modified vulvas. Um, there's there's so many things that you can go from there. And what happens, like it happens in social media with Instagram influencers, as well as with sex workers that we might see online, we don't take into account that these media messages are constructed and they're constructed in a way to make you feel an emotion. Typically on porn, it's to turn you on, but it's also there to send a lot of micro messages about what it means to be sexy, what it means to be sexual, um, what others will expect of you. And um, it can have a large effect on not only the way we behave during sex, but the way that we feel like we should look to be deserving of pleasure. So this is, you know, oftentimes like the the hangups I hear about is a nice little starting point for me. It's kind of like asking, you know, like, well, what kind of media do you consume? Did you receive sex education growing up? Like, did you have conversations with any trusted adults? Um, And also, well, what are the like, sexualized media that you choose to consume are you looking at porn not like there's anything bad with it and it's not to be like anti-porn anti-media it's great but it's just nice to kind of like step back a bit sometimes and question like what power is this having over me and how I feel about myself so that's oftentimes the big hang-ups I get and then this is also supported by a lot of stuff out there in the real world right Um, For women, the whole like vulva phobia feeling that we have where maybe like, you know, um, 
feeling self-conscious about our labia and the size and the shape and how it's supposed to be a certain way. And there's one way that's beautiful. And there's one way that's obviously not because it's not something that I see. And then you go to the pharmacy or the supermarket and we're being sold all these like um, freshening up products and like wipes and scented things that are actually like horrific and horrible for your vulvas. And there's some brands that are even like pushing these for the teenage population as well. And so how are we supposed to feel different about it if we're being sold and told and seen that there is one way to be beautiful? Your body needs to be a certain size, a certain shape, a certain color. Um, it needs to move in a certain way. You need to say certain things. And so it can be really stressful and confusing and it leads people to feel not deserving of pleasure and connection and communication. And so that's something that I really hope to unravel a bit in, in the work I do, because I think it's, it affects us a lot more than we realize it. You, so you just hit on something so important. And that is the fact that so much of our struggles, whether it's with sex, whether it's with our body image, whether it's with food, come down to this fear of like, I'm not going to be love accepted, cared for. I don't deserve pleasure. And when we look at this, like in the context of diet culture, like diet culture and like what you were just talking about with porn is so closely tied together. Like if we think about, I mean, you and I both live in Spain, both grew up in the United States. Mm -hmm. And we're like, we're in this, like, we're around the same age. I think I'm a little bit, yeah, I'm a little bit older than you. And the magazines that we saw growing up was like, how, like all these girls that had these like tiny little bodies, super skinny little bodies. And those are the ones that got the guy or like the movies that we saw growing up was the girl that got the guy was the girl that looked good. And the girl that looked a little bit different or had a little bit of a different body was like the awkward friend. And so mm -hmm. it's normal that we now grow up with this. It's coming at us from like mainstream media. And then you go into porn, something that is like, hopefully going to accentuate your pleasure. And it only mm -hmm. increases that belief that like my body doesn't deserve this type of connection. Right. Right. And what can be really interesting for us to go into is like, okay, so if we're aware that we have all of these media images, I love that you talked about like the, uh, the audit, right? Like take a look at where you're getting these messages about like what bodies are deserving of pleasure. Like then what can we do? I mean, I think probably an easy one is like, okay, we'll find more ethical porn if that's what you're into. But what can we do to then like take that and be like, this isn't me, this is media I'm consuming. And then how do I build up my belief in that I am deserving of pleasure? So this is interesting practice because it's, it's nice to critique and construct this in a way where you also real you realize like you're not going to allow it to affect you as much as possibly it did before, but also it's still there. It's still heavy. Um, it's all about just like finding what aligns with your values. And so something that I teach in porn literacy is kind of like, well, what do you value about yourself? What do you value about sexuality? What do you value about being a sexual being and um, in sexual relationships? And um, what kind of things turn you on specifically? And then finding the media out there that supports this in a positive way. And I mean, you know, I it's hard to find always like the best 
media out there, but there's so much, there's so much great content out there that I understand that porn is a huge tool of, of pleasure and connection for some, even those in relationships. It's all about just kind of figuring that out for yourself and just always keeping in the back of your mind that like these are not, you know, adding to any sort of like racist, harmful, violent, misogynistic, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, stereotypes. And so something that simply that you can do is like next time you're going through any porn websites is to just like check yourself and be like, what categories do I typically go for? Um, what are the titles like? What is the content like? Is this something that aligns with my values when I'm out there dating or I'm out there, uh, I don't know, connecting with my partners? Um, and then just making sure that this is not something that's affecting the way that you feel about others based on their gender or race, uh, sexual orientation. Um, and then finding the media that just aligns with your values in that way. Obviously, I always... Um, campaign for paying for your porn. I think that it's a really nice way to support the sex work community. Um, and this can be done in many different ways, right? There's OnlyFans and then there's also um, ethical porn production sites. So meaning like porn that exists beyond a paywall. And so this just makes sure that there's um, fair pay involved. Um, and yeah, it's, I mean, and there's, so many other ways too. It's not just video. There's also like audio erotic out there. Some people prefer to read erotic novels. I am I am very into <laughs> uh, like reading, like um, I guess it's liter literotica. Is that what it's called? Oh my gosh, I've never heard that term. Okay, yeah, I, but I heard it somewhere. Yeah, I. So this this is interesting because this really ties into like I talk a lot on this podcast about sort of like my transition from being someone that was like very, very body focused. Mm -hmm. Um, like it tracked my macros for a really long time was like very into like fitness and, and trying to have quote unquote, like the perfect body. And one of the things that I really took on, and I don't, I've never shared this on the podcast before, but here we are it, that as like a way to start feeling more confident in my body was I committed to masturbating. Like mm -hmm. I bought, I bought like my first, like really good vibrator. And I was like, I need to do this. And I committed to doing it because I was like, this is a way for me to connect with my body in a way that doesn't have to do with what I look like and actually can help me figure out what it is that I like. And this is one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, because I think that exploring what you like is something that is not talked about as much within our generation at hopefully in the younger generations that it, wow, I made just made myself sound so old. I'm not that old. <laughs> um, but I think in, you know, like millennials, we're sort of like on that cusp where like, there wasn't a lot of really open discussion about like masturbation and sex. And so how do you see like talking about body confidence and feeling comfortable in your body? Like how does masturbation play into that? It's huge. I think that's, that's really great to hear that it was part of your practice, because I think it's something that I oftentimes encourage of people who are kind of like, I don't really know what I'm into, you know, and after doing the triangle practice, you know, sometimes people just don't know where to begin. And I'm kind of like, okay, well, one really great place to begin is like, you know, just like going through porn size, um, you know, practicing masturbation, and then kind of exploring for yourself, like what kind of, I don't know, uh, depending on the toys or the kind of touch that you prefer during masturbation is 
deciding, well, what works for you and where does your mind go during these moments and what do you fantasize about and like what kind of ways do you feel like you can then um, replicate these actions and these feelings in partnered sex if you choose to do so. Um, and then we learn, we work on like communicating that effectively, right? So like using consent and asking for what you want. <laughs> and so um, this is extremely important because I do feel like it's a really nice way to figure out what you want and how you like it. Um, and also that there's no one way to do it. I always feel like there's so much pressure and there's so much, uh, I don't know, maybe it's also based on the media that we consume, but like, there's like a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. And I always want people to just like, kind of like throw that script out the window because it's not true. I think the only way to explore positive, pleasurable, sexual experiences is through figuring it out on your own. And then if there involves another person through the practice of consent and communication, it doesn't matter what you've heard on the TV or on the internet or read an article in the nineties, early two thousands. It's just like, that doesn't matter. Everyone is different. We all have different preferences. Um, and it's all about just figuring out what you like yourself. I mean, that's essentially what we hope to do when we build a good relationship with food is like figure out what works for you. Mm. And, and at the beginning, that's like such a complicated question, right? Because mm. sometimes it feels like nobody has ever asked us, well, how do you want to approach food? Like, how would you like to treat your body? And I think mm -hmm. when it comes to sex as well as like, it's something that similarly to food, it's something that we all do, right? Like, I don't know if anybody's having as much sex as, as often as they eat. That seems like excessive, <laughs> but it's, it's something that we all do, but it's also yeah. like, it's like similarly to a lot of issues with food is like, it's not something that we feel super comfortable talking about. And one mm -hmm. thing I know that comes up a lot, especially around body image is like the reluctance to want to initiate either sex or conversations around sex. Cause there's a lot of like insecurity and a lot of um, fear of rejection involved in that. And so like, how would you, it, how would you encourage someone that maybe is feeling like, Hey, I don't, I, I struggle to initiate, or I struggle to talk about sex. Like how can someone start building up confidence to be able to do that? Yeah. Good question. And my favorite answer to this question is something that I teach teenagers and kids when we start learning and teaching about consent is get comfortable with hearing and saying the word no. Um, I think that we're brought up as young people to know that no is a bad thing, that we should feel ashamed for asking something and hearing no, and that also saying no to something is disrespectful or not nice, but it doesn't matter on our own boundaries. It's something that we should do, right? So this is where like the should language comes into play. And so rejection is just a part of life. Um, hearing no is completely fine. And honestly, one of like, one of my favorite consent edu educators um, there on Instagram, their name is Consent Wizardry. They had this really great practice about um, being comfortable with hearing the word no 
And also uh, they had a post one day that was talking about how grateful they are now when people say no, because it allows them to know more about, well, what does the other person want to do? So if you're, um, you know, trying to, I don't know, connect with someone sexually and you're asking if they want to have sex and they say no, well, then this gives you an opportunity to find out well, what do they want to do and what pace do they prefer to um, go about this relationship or this connection? And so it's something, and, you know, saying that you want to have sex too, that's a very broad question, right? Sex can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. So it's also about just like following up, asking questions, getting to know each other, maybe even showing each other, right? There's a really great practice called mutual masturbation where you can masturbate next to your partner. And instead of touching each other, it's an opportunity for your partner to watch you and show you. It's kind of like an adult time show and tell and show you exactly how you like to be touched, where you like to be touched, what speed, what do you like to use? Do you have any toys? Do you have any, um, I don't know, do you like to be more verbal in the bedroom or not? And so it's just an opportunity to get to know another person more, to be rejected and hear no. And also it's okay to just, all have non-sexual relationships too. I think that one thing that I struggled with when I was, um, you know, going through my nutrition process with you is like this thing that we always hear about um, addiction around food, right? Yeah. Addiction around sex too. This like, and this is when I first came to you. I don't know if you remember, but I was like, I'm addicted. I'm addicted to food. I'm binge eating. I'm addicted. And I remember you questioning that and being kind of like, and this is such a 180 here. Sorry, but it just hit me. And I was like, I don't want to forget this. Um, I remember you just being like, being careful about using the term addiction because it takes away that personal responsibility, right? And the idea of bodily autonomy that I do have a choice. It was like, I had no choice. So it's like unfixable. I don't even know what I'm doing here, why I'm working with you. Like, it's just something that's going to be an issue for the rest of my life. And so that's something too, that I also practice and adhere to myself when it comes to people with um, sex addictions, pornography addictions, things like that. It's kind of like this idea that um, we can't take a pause and look and find solutions and like kind of just live our lives in a way where we're still adhering to all our values and feeling more balanced in our practices. Yeah. I, I love that you brought that up because I think it's, it's such an important conversation and personal responsibility around your, because it's like with autonomy comes responsibility. It's like, it, it's, it's like with great power comes great response. Was that star Wars? Is that like star Wars or star Trek? I've never watched. <laughs> I'm, I'm a, I'm a nerd. I'm like a sci-fi nerd, but I'm not a star Wars nerd. I'm okay. A, yeah. I used to watch star <laughs> Trek as a kid. Um, anyways, but so it's like with great, no, sorry. That's Spider-Man. Oh my God. Oh, yeah, there's someone, there's someone out there Spider-Man. listening to this, like yelling at me right I now. Know. Great star Wars. <laughs> um, so with great power comes great responsibility. And that's what bodily autonomy is all about. Right. Like you have autonomy to decide what you want to do with your body sexually, what you want to do with your body food wise, exercise wise, whatever that is. Like if you want to mm-hmm. tattoo yourself all over, but there's also the responsibility of the consequences that are associated with that. Uh-huh. And I think similarly to the word rejection, consequences is another word that we have a really <laughs> weird relationship with, right? 
And like consequences are simply like what happens after you do something. So like, for example, I think when, when, you know, when, when we first started working together, it was like, okay, well, if I eat a whole pizza, I like the consequence of that is I'm not going to feel good. And on the flip side, like if I don't eat breakfast, the consequence of me not eating breakfast is like, I'm going to be really hungry. And so I think, but then the consequence of eating breakfast is feeling more satisfied. And so I think when we look at like rejection and consequence, we want to understand like rejection is not inherently bad, right? Like you can say to someone, like you said, you can ask someone like, Hey, would you like to blah, blah, blah. And they might say no. And that can open you up for another conversation that doesn't Mm -hmm. necessarily have to be a shutdown. And this is actually a conversation that's come up a lot, like in my friend group lately around dating and around understanding our relationship with rejection, because we put so much of our self-worth and our body image on what other people think of us. And we often take any type of rejection as like, I'm not good enough, Mm -hmm. right? Like if someone says they don't want to have sex, even let's say my partner says that he doesn't want to have sex tonight. And I may take that as he doesn't find me attractive Mm -hmm. and being able to separate ourselves from that and say like this, this one instance of him saying that he doesn't want to have sex doesn't need to create the story of, I am not attractive. And in order to identify the story, and this is something that my partner actually said this to me recently. He's like, I just understood why you always tell me the story that I'm telling myself is. And part of it was because in those situations, I think, especially if we are with someone that we trust and someone that we care about, and you do feel like there is some sort of rejection or your body is like your body image is being affected. You get to then talk to them and say, Hey, the story that I'm creating for myself is like, you don't think I'm attractive. Mm -hmm. And then we get to actually start building up connection rather than breaking it down by a rejection. I feel like it just went on a total like no I magical ride there. No, I think it's such an important thing. And it really feeds off the whole like getting comfy with hearing the word no thing. And then also seeing being at a kind of like seeing it as like a moment of gratitude rather than rejection, being like, yeah. okay, cool, that's a no, but there's so many other yeses and possibilities on the other hand. So I just need to ask the right questions and figure out like, how is my partner doing? Are they okay? Maybe they had a stressful day. And then also taking on the idea of personal responsibilities is like, okay, why do I want to have sex right now? Um, Is it because I want intimate connection with my partner? Am I just horny? And is that something that I can just deal with myself, right? I can just go and masturbate. It doesn't have to involve my partner. That's fine. There is this belief. um, I've heard, I, I wish I could like cite this, but I don't know where it started, but I feel like I've seen it reshared so many times where like, there's this belief that we are responsible for our own orgasms, right? So understanding how we get it, how to give ourselves one and how to communicate it to others. And to, I mean, it's great if another person figures it out too. This is where I'm like, I don't believe that 100%. I think it can be really exciting the other way too. That like, Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like you. we've all slept with people <laughs> that you're like, no, no, I was not responsible for not having an orgasm there. That was Absolutely. your fault. <laughs> Absolutely. And so, yeah, it's like, you know, you can communicate something and, and, and it just doesn't translate well sometimes, but, um, I do think in these cases, it's, it, it rings true to be like, okay, well, I I'm going to go masturbate. Um, maybe because it's just, cause I'm really horny right now and, and I'm, it's cool. My partner's not feeling it. They just had kind of a bad day or they're just not into it right now. And, and that's okay. That's nothing to do with me and how I look and who I am as a partner. It's just, 
it's not the moment, it's not the time and that's fine. And that's true in partnerships beyond just sex, right? I don't think it's always 50-50. I don't think we always need to give and get the same back and forth. I think like sometimes we're just not there and that's fine. (laughs) So um, you brought up something else and I, I wish I could remember consequences yes 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 so I love the term consequences and I feel like when it comes to that word whether or not it's nutrition or food or sex we always see it as like a negative consequence yeah. and honestly it wasn't until I really thought about it when I was putting together a sex education curriculum um, that I realized that consequence wasn't a negative term in my mind I always defined it as consequence is something bad that happens from doing something and I literally looked it up on google being like consequence definition and I realized that no it's just you know I don't know how I would define it It doesn't have to necessarily be something negative it's the result it's like the result or the outcome of something the outcome of something right and so my whole life I've defined it as a negative outcome I thought that's what consequence meant And so now when I teach sex education, I went to a school recently of teenagers and I taught them about contraceptives and I taught them about porn literacy as well. I had a moment where I was going to talk to them about, you know, like, well, what are the consequences of having sex? And so they all raised their hand and they gave like the two top answers, which is like unwanted pregnancy and STI transmission. And I was like, great. I said, well, what about connection? What about pleasure? What about um, you know, all the possible good things that come. So I think I, I truly believe in teaching like pleasure, positive sex education. I don't think there's anything harmful about speaking the truth. I think it sends really crazy mixed messages. If like, we just teach negative consequential sex education, because it doesn't necessarily stop, uh, people from doing it anyways. So it's, um, I think what we also want is for people to have more pleasurable sexual experiences if and when they choose to do so. And so that's why that's become such a huge part of my, my practice too, is using the term consequence in a more positive way. I love that. One of the things that is so confusing is because, and and this goes for like food and sex as well, is like something that is so pleasurable is often taught to us as shameful. It's like food is even described as like sinful, right? And like sex is like (laughs) this hidden thing. And I think that when we can start to bring this into light and realize one, like there's absolutely nothing sinful about food because if we see food in some way as sinful, that means that like the other side of that is usually this like, if you're disciplined, then you'll be skinny. Like it's a very diet culture thing. I think in episode mm-hmm. 83 of this podcast, I talk more about diet culture, but then sex as well is something that like is very much behind closed doors. I think now we're starting to see with like even dating apps, like I think it's like field or something. And like, mm-hmm. we're starting to see on even more like mainstream dating apps, things like, you know, I think they have now like sex questions in there. Mm-hmm. Whereas like they're used, it used to be a lot more like shrouded in secrecy. And I think the more that we can bring some of these things that are more shameful to light, whether it is like how you feel about your body when you're having sex or not having sex, like the fact that you don't, like maybe you're not confident in like what your vagina looks like. I used to ask my waxing lady every single time, like if I went to a different one, I'd be like, 
I would ask her about the different types of vaginas that she saw. Like I would yeah. ask her like, is there a ton of variety? I was so curious about it right. because it is something that when you see it in some type of media, it usually looks very much the same. Like there's not a lot of variety. And yeah. they would tell me, they're like, oh no, you have no idea. They're all so different. <laughs> and it's like bodies, right? Like bodies are all so different. Um, Absolutely. Like you, you brought up such an interesting point when you were talking about kind of like how we see sex, like overindulgence of like sex or your sexuality or food as like these sins, right? It's like they're part of the seven deadly sins, right? Gluttony and lust. And so it's like taught to us um, from forever uh, that it's wrong to, to be these this way, right? It's wrong to yeah. be overindulgent in any of these ways. And so it goes against this idea of uh, purity and control, right? Um, and so that's why there's so much shame also wrapped up into to being a sexual being, especially as a woman. Um, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I oh, do yeah. think um, you brought up an important thing too, which is kind of like understanding that yes, we have this idea of like what we should look like, how we should be presenting ourselves, but the reality of it is just so much different. And I think my work in, um, in teaching porn literacy and being around a lot more of like the, the porn culture has taught me just that, that there is no one right way to be. And there's also something important to know, which is that just like the influencers we follow on Instagram that edit their videos all day long and um, I don't know, throw filters on everything, the porn industry does exactly the same. And they cut and they edit and they skew videos and there's tons of conversations and consent and like bloopers and all these bathroom breaks and contraceptives and things being used that we're not necessarily seeing. And so it's always important to also divide the reality versus the fantasy that this media creates, which I think rings true as well to the diet industry and the health oh and nutrition gosh. industry. Yeah, it really does. And and I mentioned to you like kind of before this episode started that I do have like I have a lot of coaches that listen to, mm -hmm. to this podcast. And a lot of it is is like so many individuals get into the nutrition coaching, myself included. When I first started coaching, a lot of it had to do with like my own issues and shame around food and wanting to kind of like figure out my own stuff. And mm -hmm. I ended up completely shifting the way that I approach coaching because I grew and changed and learned so much. And so hopefully we can all do this for ourselves and like take away from this conversation that there is so much variety and there is no shame around sex. No is not a bad word. And, and learning what you like is really, really important. And if you're struggling with body image, learning what you like sexually can be a really great way to simply, so there's a concept called embodiment, which is essentially like being in your body. Mm -hmm. Like it's the concept of like, we are inside of our bodies, but we often live so much in our heads. Like you were talking about earlier, when we are in a sexual experience, we're thinking about like, instead of feeling what's happening and feeling our bodies, we're thinking about the movements or thinking about what we should be doing or what we look like. And so we want to start getting back inside of our bodies and learning to practice things like even just basic mindfulness, like the mindfulness exercises that we worked on in coaching very much carry over 
into a sexual experience is like learning to be present, learning to enjoy food, learning to notice feelings of fullness and satisfaction, feelings of hunger. I'm not going to let myself go off in another like TED talk rant, but (laughs) I have one question that I was so excited to ask you. And then we can start wrapping up is when it comes to sexual experiences, what would you encourage people to do to build confidence in their naked body? Wow. Yeah. I love this. I think also because um, summertime is here. I think that this is a really big question, especially because we're like on the cusp of like winter ending. I don't know where everyone is, but here in Spain, it's changing. We don't even know. People could be listening <laughs> to this like 10 years in the future. We That's don't know. That's true. That's true. So where we are right now, this is what's happening. It's like start of the season. So I think this is a very common thought, but I think it's also a thought that occurs no matter what season or where you are. Um, It's just this discomfort of like showing skin. And obviously during sexual practices, typically it's when we show the most skin, right? Um, I think there's so many ways to, I don't know, um, get more comfortable, get more confident in your own body. I think it's all, it comes down to figuring out, well, what is the, the practice that makes you feel the, you can fill in the blank here, the strongest, um, the most confident, the most beautiful, the most sexy is it's wearing lingerie or for some people it's going to the gym throughout the week or some people it's drinking more water or getting more sleep it's just kind of like tuning into yourself and saying like well what does my body need in this moment and how can I feel more comfortable more confident in my skin and at the end of the day also recognizing that there's no way that you're supposed to look to be or feel sexy it's all about confidence. I think we all know that confident person in our life that will just walk in the room and exude confidence and immediately they are more attractive, more beautiful, more, I don't know, fill in the blank. And so it's all about the attitude and it's about the belief. There's no one one way to look sexy. Um, It all comes down to what you want for yourself. So I know this is easier said than done. It's a practice. And, and I think there's like this, also this belief that as sexologists or sex educators, we are just like 100% beautifully confident people, uh, very sexually active. That's not true. <laughs> I think it's also recognizing that we all ebb and flow in our confidence. We all ebb and flow in our libidos. We all ebb and flow when it comes to, I don't know, hormonal changes in our life. So our likes, our dislikes, our preferences, and we're all just figuring it out. So just choose what feels good to you day to day. And also don't be afraid of adding in sexual practices into your wellness routines because sexual health is wellness. Yes, I totally agree with that. And I, I want to add something around like the confidence piece, because I think we often believe that like, and this comes up so much in when I work with clients is new clients will often come to me and be like, well, I will be confident when my body looks different. I will be confident when I lose the weight. I will be confident when, you know, I fit back into those old jeans, whatever that is. And I want to express the importance of confidence as being something that you do, like the actions that you take help you build confidence. And so that may be like 
you have a conversation with your partner around sex that you've never had before, that can build confidence in simply saying like, I did the thing that felt a little bit scary and now it doesn't feel so scary. Like that's building confidence. It can be like, if you normally have sex with the lights off, like having like a very low light on and then recognizing Mm -hmm. like nothing bad happened. And a lot of that is being able to go back and talk to yourself and be like, oh, like that thing that I was scared of didn't happen, right? Mm -hmm. And I was recently having a conversation with a client who was saying, you know, I feel like if I lost a couple of pounds, I would just, I would just exude more confidence. And we dug into like, well, what are the actions that you take when you feel confident versus the actions that you take when you don't feel confident? And often we will say, well, I will wear this type of outfit when I feel confident, or I will, you know, you, you even, you carry yourself differently. So I think bringing attention to the fact that like confidence is something that you do. And when it comes to specifically in like body image research, there's like a step-by-step pattern that you can follow to identify like a ladder of this is a body image experience that makes me feel really uncomfortable. This is a body image experience that makes me feel slightly uncomfortable. And so maybe for you, you start breaking down. And then this is, if you're listening and you want to talk to me about this, I'm happy to talk to you about it. But you start understanding like, well, what might be like a little bit out of your comfort zone? And then you do that and you build confidence in it. And I think even for you, like as we were working together, you got so confident in like meal planning and cooking (laughs) and like doing all of these things that you were like, no, no, like I don't do that. Right. Right. And, and it didn't come because one day you magically woke up and you're like, now I'm good at this. It came because you took a little step further every day. And I think we can apply the same thing to like body confidence, sexual confidence, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. It, it, there's no right or wrong way to do it. It's all about taking those baby steps. And, um, I will always, I, I had the same thought process when I first, first met you. I mean, I still have those pair of jeans that now I realize I got when I was 19 years old and I was still, I, that was like my goal. I was like, I want to fit into these pants. Yeah. It's like, and you're I'm, such a different person now. I know you were like, okay, well, what if you never fit into those pants? And I remember being like, Jillian, of course I'm going to fit into these yeah. pants. And now I'm like, oh wait, I'm 31. It just hit me in this conversation. I did the math and I was like, wait, okay, I probably won't. But it's okay because there's so many different ways of me feeling confident that don't necessarily mean I'm going to be fitting into pants that are like three size smaller than my actual size right now. And so yeah. um, I agree. I think there's like so much alignment into the work that we do. And it was really cool to be able to work with you and recognize those alignments in ways that like I never did before. And so the trickiest part for me though was like, in my opinion, I was like, I can live without sex. As a sexologist, it's fine. I don't need it. I don't need it at all. But food was the tricky one for me because I was like, oh, wait, I can't live without food. So how am I going to tackle this one? (laughs) So, but within the same practices and within the same mindset and um, there's, there were so many kind of like aha moments where I was recognizing that I was actually teaching the same things to teenagers and kids and parents and educators and clients. And I think maybe coaches will have those moments every once in a while where we're like, Oh, 100%. Oops. I'm not practicing what I'm preaching. <laughs> so This is why I actually work with, I have coaches that come to me mm-hmm. to get coach and I have a coach as well. Like I, it, I have, right. I, pretty much always have at least one coach in like some area. And that's because Mm -hmm. it's like, we're like, we as humans are not good at holding up the mirror to our own behavior. And like, that's not like, you can have all of the knowledge in the world and 
still like you're never going to be able to see yourself as the third person. And I mm-hmm. think that that is the value in being able to work with someone and then be having that other person like sort of help you draw the lines, whether it's in sex, food, whatever it is. Before we wrap up, yeah. I have one last thing. What is something that you wish that people knew about sex that they don't? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. This is such a great question. Something that I wish that people knew about sex that they typically don't is that not everyone is having it and not everyone is having it as much as you think they are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think the comparison trap, we fall into the comparison trap a lot with sex. And I think that like quality over quantity is probably uh, hopefully the way that, that we are going. And also it's not fair. Like same thing. Like you can't compare your life to mine. Like how can you compare how much sex you're having to how much sex I'm having? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. And also how much sex I'm having has no bearing on your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And who I want to have sex with and how many people I want to have sex with. Exactly. Exactly. And so yeah, it's, it's, that's the one thing I always say, I'm like, not everyone's doing it. Not everyone's doing as much as you think they are. And so it's all just, you know, let's stop the comparison game and let's figure it out for ourselves because it, there's so many ways to practice sex. There's so many ways to be sexual. There's so many ways to find pleasure in life, even beyond sex. And so it's all about these pleasure practices, finding out what feels good to you. And like you said before, as a coach, sometimes we go into it because we're trying to do some self-healing in some ways. And I never had a person to talk about sex with, but I was extremely curious about it. And I felt like the messages I was receiving and the lack of practice of consent that was existing in those days um, and now learning about it and teaching it, there were so many moments that felt uncomfy going through it and kind of unlearning, relearning, having moments that I was feeling extremely guilty or or sad about maybe like past practices or the way that I believed about myself as a sexual being or practice my sexuality. Um, But I needed to also understand that we have so much more information out there now today and we should all be grateful for it and go for it. And there's a lot of great, great, great resources on the internet, great, great, great coaches out there, sexologists, sex education programs, And um, it's just a really lovely community that's so diverse and so welcoming. And I am just consistently learning from everybody. Amazing. Well, I know people can follow you at Sexology Girl on Instagram. Is there anyone else that you would recommend? Like you mentioned a lot of great educators. Like, is there anyone that you would recommend for someone that wants to start digging in a little bit more? Absolutely. Um, So there's... Gosh, there's so many great therapists out there. Um, Latina sex therapist is one of my favorites. That is Bianca Laureano. Um, mm-hmm. She's an amazing doctor and uh, also works with me on our projects that we created together, the Porn Conversation. Um, there's Queer Sex Therapy. Um, there's Clitorally the Best, which is lots of fun. Uh I love that name. Yes, lots of fun educational resources. Um, obviously, the nonprofit project that I manage, the Porn Conversation, is a great one too. We talk and teach porn literacy and offer a lot of great sex educational tools. Um, 
There's so many. I, I don't really know where That's, to begin don't worry. or to end, but I want to, <laughs> consent wizardry is another one that I mentioned. Um, gosh, I mean, honestly, if someone goes to my Instagram and looks at who I follow, pretty much everybody. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're so great. <laughs> that is no Avril. That's so helpful. And I hope that this, I really hope that people listening are now just feeling a little bit more comfortable about talking about sex and having these conversations. Mm-hmm. And I think, like you said, like it is a part of wellness and yeah. I've actually been kind of exploring how to like bring that conversation into coaching. Cause I'm like, I'm not a sex expert by any means, but I, but you're right, is that it is part of wellness. And, and I think having these conversations and like bringing, bringing people like you on to like a wellness focused podcast, I think is so, so, so important. So I'm going to link the people that Avril mentioned in the show notes. I'm also going to link Avril, her Instagram in the show notes so that you can follow her. I, I like, I love this conversation. This was so great. I'm already like thinking in my head of what we can talk about next time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, definitely. Thank you so much. I, I'm so happy to be on here. I'm a longtime listener, first time caller. So <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, anybody listening, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, please go ahead and give it a share. I think this is a really fun episode to share with people in your network. Um, that is slightly a little bit of a different wellness conversation to be had. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can leave it a rating or a review, unless you hated it, in which case don't leave a rating or a review, please. <laughs> and with that, we will see you, we as in me, I will see you again next week uh, for another episode. <laughs>